Episode 6 of Fitness Behaviour with Bevan James Isles. A very important interview. guys, welcome along to episode 6 of Fitness Behaviour, your monthly podcast on the behaviours that create a lifetime love of fitness and all the benefits that come with it. This show is going to be a little bit different to the other shows we've done up to this point. Up to this point, a lot of the shows that we've done have been about introducing concepts that you may not have in life and giving you some tools to work towards that. This month's show is actually going to be with an interview with uh, a very important author and I thought I'd tell you a little bit about why we got to this point of having this interview on before we chuck the interview on. A friend of mine called Tom Williams runs a great podcast called Marathon Talk and if you're a runner and you like you know, to learn about running and, and marathons and stuff like that, I highly recommend you check out his website. I think it's marathontalk.com. And um, he, he, a while ago he sent me through a book called The End of Overeating by a guy called David Kessler. And the book really addresses a huge problem we have in society right now and, and it's really around the increase in obesity, uh, you know, I don't really need to tell you the facts. I think all of us know how clear it is, especially in Western societies, how much obesity is becoming a huge problem uh, for, you know, the whole society moving forward. And if anything, we're really only at the early stages of, you know, what this epidemic could be. So, um, So I read this book and it was one of those books where I thought, this is such an important book. It was kind of one of those books you wanted to pass around to everyone, you know, get everyone else to read it because there's, it's just such an important message in there and, and it's such kind of stuff I haven't heard before and stuff that the general population needs to get and to learn. So hence, I, I, I basically got hold of David and um, I managed to get an interview with him, which is really amazing. It's going to go for around an hour and he's going to give you some insights and just a way of thinking around what's happening with our food in today's society and what we should you know, some approaches that we can take to really counter some of the challenges we have around nutrition. Just a little bit about David Kessler before I put the interview on. Um, just to, you know, the guy is, is pretty high level. Uh, he served as a commissioner for the United States Food and Safety Board under both President, the first President Bush and President Clinton from 1990 to 2007. And in that time he was pivotal and uh, changing the marketing around tobacco, uh, the food labelling in America. You know, if you, if you read his kind of list of things he's achieved in this time, he's really had a, a huge influence on what's happening uh, in society around some of these really important areas. So uh, David Kessler is a pretty great man. So instead of me waffling on, let's uh, get him on the show and let's start the interview. Alright guys, I'm really happy to go have a, an important figure I see in, in the fight against health and fitness in the world and his name is David A. Kessler, Dr. David A. Kessler. On his bio on his website, it's got he served as the commissioner for the US Food and Drug Administration under Presidents George H.W. Bush and Bill Clinton. He's a paediatrician and has been the dean of medical schools at Yale University and the University of California San, and San Francisco. Uh, a graduate of Amherst College and the University of Chicago Law School, Harvard Medical School, David A. Kessler is a father of two and lives in California. Welcome along to the show today, mate. How are you? Uh, it's great to be with you. Uh, you know, I, I was actually reading your bio. I didn't realize you were quite instrumental in a few other aspects of um, food and drug administration, and one being the tobacco industry and also the food label. Just you want to tell us a little bit about your history 
before leading into this book? A physician uh, by training um, asked in 1990 uh, to lead the United States Food and Drug Administration. Obviously, I thought I was uh, that was a job. Yep. You were going. To, I was going to regulate the safety of foods, the safety of drugs, the blood supplies, vaccine. But along the way, I came to understand that there was an enormous opportunity to affect people's health. And what we did, certainly in the, in the States, uh, was to make the food label much more transparent. Uh, it used to be, uh, before we started, you would pick up a, a product and you would have no idea yeah. what was in the product. As it was referred to as the Tower of Babel <laughs> uh, because manufacturers would make certain claims and uh, th those claims had no uh, reality when you looked at the food product. So we worked on the food label. Uh, we worked in the 1990s uh, on getting drugs. Uh, obviously, the, the big issue then uh, was HIV and finding drugs that worked uh, for HIV, and uh, we did that. Uh, but along the way, I remember one day uh, a colleague came up to me and said, Commissioner, I think uh, you should regulate tobacco. Mm. And it was the first time that anyone raised that. It had really not been considered in depth by the FDA. Uh, FDA regulates everything else that comes in contact with the body, everything that we put on our skin, everything that we ingest, all the drugs we, we take. So we spent a, a good number of years going where no one well before we went inside the tobacco industry uh, to try to understand uh, what they knew about tobacco. And they, in fact, as we dug, we found that they knew long before we did about nicotine, its addictive properties, and the fact that nicotine was a drug. It took 15 years, uh, but we finally got uh, the, the Congress of the United States to enact uh, legislation that gave uh, us, gave FDA the ability to regulate uh, tobacco and nicotine uh, as a drug. And it took 15 years uh, of work. So I became very interested in public health issues. I, I left FDA and then became dean, at, as you mentioned, of Yale Medical School. And I'm sitting there in my office with a group of residents and fellows one day and asked the question, if you want to stay alive, what are the things you can do? Right. I mean, how do you really, what are the evidence-based things that can result in one, uh, you know, if, if one wanted to affect their health, what are the things we know works? And, and a funny thing, I started pulling, the, you know, all the articles. I had a librarian who, who was helping me and, you know, the three big killers are what? They're stroke, they're cancer, they're cardiovascular disease. Three quarters of us, three out of, uh, of every four of us are going to die from one of those three uh, major killers. And I noticed as she was pulling all the evidence-based literature on prevention, she lost 30 pounds. Here she's reading really? all, all, all the articles. And she, um, she notices that at the core of cancer, many cancers, cardiovascular disease, stroke, weight is such a key uh, determinant. And 
you know, the, the issue for me was, I mean, I could relate because, I mean, I have suits in every size. You know, I've gained and lost my body weight yeah. so uh, been on multiple times. I, I, I've been there. Um, and, but I've never understood why it was so hard. If it were just a question of diet and exercise, we would all do it. Um, so what I became very interested in, um, actually it started, uh, you, you, you've heard it, you know, you, you know, the Oprah Winfrey show in the United States yep. and one day she had on the show, I'm watching it, 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 I'm surfing through the channels and she had, uh, a woman on it, well-educated, well-spoken, sophisticated. And she said, I eat, um, after my husband goes off to work in the morning, I eat before he comes home at night. I eat when I'm happy. I eat when I'm sad. I eat when I'm hungry. I eat when I'm not hungry. Yeah. yeah. And then she, uh, you know, th- that moment, then she said, and I'm not happy with myself. Mm-hmm. Right? So the question for me, I was trying to listen to that woman and listen as a clinician. Why was somebody eating when they were hungry and when they were not hungry? What was driving that behavior? That's what I set out to try to understand uh, and spend seven years of researching, doing the science, uh, and writing the book, The End of Overeating. Because I wanted to understand myself why it was so hard for so many people, not everybody, to control their eating. Let me give you three characteristics. Because some of your listeners are going to say, you know, they can't relate to this. And others will say, you know, um, he, he's nailed me. He's describing me exactly. Okay. Right? So let me give you three characteristics. A hard time resisting your favorite foods. Right? A sort of a loss of control. Not a real loss of control because obviously you're conscious, but a sense that something's pulling you to eat. Okay. Right? Um, and two, a hard time stopping. Once you start eating, you have a hard time stopping. Three, a preoccupation of thinking about foods between meals or you're sitting there, I mean, and you're, you know, that pizza box is there, there's one slice left and you're thinking to yourself, am I going to get that or is someone else going to get it? There's preoccupation. So these three characteristics, you know, a, a loss of control in the face of highly palatable foods, a lack of satiation, a hard time stopping and a preoccupation of thinking about foods. Yep. Now, for some people, they go, I have no idea what that is. I can't relate. They're actually the ones I want to study. Because for the vast majority of people, if you look at 50% of people who are obese, about 30% of people who are overweight, 20% of people who are a healthy weight. So just because you're healthy weight doesn't mean you don't have this pull. You don't have this preoccupation. Mm, And and that may not seem like a lot of people, but just here in the States, you extrapolate that some 75 million people have these characteristics of this conditioned and driven behavior. And I wanted to understand what what was at that cause. Why did that happen? And what happened over the last three, four decades? Because if you look at the growth, uh, the, the, the weight curves, They've changed dramatically in the States over the last three, four decades. We had obesity as a problem licked back in the 1950s and 1960s. It it wasn't really a problem. It really has only emerged, certainly in the States, and we've led the world. I mean, in in obesity, and a lot of other countries, you know, are saying behind our backs, 
we don't want to be like them. Yeah. Them being, you know, um, you know, fat Americans. It's interesting you mentioned uh, the 20% of the people who are healthy but still have, you know, they might look to the outside to be in healthy condition. Um, the person who recommended your book to me is a guy called Tom from another podcast that I'm associated with called Marathon Talk. And uh, and he's an Ironman, so he's an Ironman triathlon for the longest time. And he just said when he read the book, he even identified with um, a lot of the information that you, or that kind of message you were sending out then and how it's not always just the way your body looks on the outside as in what's happening in the mind in regards to the battle with food. You, you're exactly right. You, you, you just, um, um, I, I think you just said it much better that, than I can say it. In fact, I believe if you understand overeating and what drives that, right, you will understand a lot about what makes us human. Because it's not just about this. It's not just that the brain has areas that are just designated for food. Mm. Right? I mean, l- let me see if I can explain how I think this works. Because if you if you understand eating, if you understand that poll, you, if you understand, wh- I mean, why was this woman on that show when she said, "I eat when I'm hungry. I eat when I'm not hungry. I eat when I'm happy. I eat when I'm sad." Why was she doing what she didn't want to be doing? But she was doing it anyway. She was well educated. Yeah. Right. It, it was perfectly rational. My, um, my major assumption, right, is that, and I think this is true. If you understand overeating, you can understand a lot about our anxieties, our addictions, our phobias, our depressions. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I think there is increasingly, as as I as I study um, and research, I see that those characteristics that drive overeating drive a lot of other, not only compulsive behaviors, but a lot of the things that cause us distress. Yeah. Let, let me see if I can explain. Let's assume, I mean, we're all wired. We're all wired to focus on the most salient stimuli in our environment. Right? What do I mean by that? If a bear walked in to your recording studio right now, if a bear walked into the door, yeah, right, I'll be running, you, right, that bear becomes the most salient stimuli. Okay, right. Why? I mean, what do I mean by saying? I mean, you're going to focus on that bear, right? Because based on your past learning and past memory, that that bear um, can have a real effect on you, yeah. right? It's the most and, 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 and it can change how you feel. A bear is going to make me feel not very good. Yeah. Right? I'm going to be frightened. I'm going to run because that bear, I mean, that bear can harm me. So we're wired to focus on those things based on past learning and past experience that can do, that can change how I, I feel. So, I mean, what are salient stimuli in our environment? What can they be? Alcohol? Right? Tobacco? Yeah. Illegal drugs, sex, gambling, those all can be, they all have the ability to capture our neural pathways. And what does that mean when I say capture our neural pathways? What it does, it, this salient stimuli capture our attention, right? So that bear walks into that studio right now and you automatically 
focus your attention. You stop focusing. I mean, you, 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 you shift your attention and you have physiological reactions based on that bear. I mean, that, that, that fear you start running out of there. Yeah. That's an automatic behavior. It's, it's almost like it becomes 100% of my thoughts. It, it, it captures you. It hijacks the, that thought. I mean, that's, it's an essential characteristic. Okay. Now, now tell me what your favorite food is. Oh, favorite food. Um, I am partial to some chips and a bit of chocolate, probably. Okay, so 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 now let's put that bowl of chips, right? That plate of chips and that chocolate right in front of you, in front of the microphone. Yep. And you're hungry, right? And we're talking. Now, be honest with me, right? Are, are you looking at those? Are you thinking about those chips? Or are you talking thinking about this interview? I'll, I mean, be what? Thinking, I'll be honest, I'll be thinking of the chips because I know that I, I, I really identify with a lot of the stuff in the book. So I know that I'd be thinking of the chips. Right. So, so, so you notice this automatic focus. I'd be, I'd be trying to focus on the interview. <laughs> but. No, no, you, you, you're, you're kind <laughs> and, and I appreciate it. But, but the fact is we're wired to focus on the most salient stimuli. Now, what's the definition of a salient stimuli? Okay. A salient stimuli is something that can – I mean it can be that bear – or it could be those chips. Now, what's the, the, the thing that, is, uh, that links that bear and those chips? The thing that links that is both things, right? You have memories. You have certain learning. You know that both of those things can change how you feel. A bear is not going to make you feel very good. Yeah. And those chips are going to make you feel better. So salient things tend to be those things that can change how you feel. So they have an influence on, on your emotions and feelings. Now, you've used another key word, and, and it's, you, you're there. Right? If you understand overeating, right, you're gonna, you, you, we're dealing with the emotional core of our brain. So a salient stimuli, we're wired to focus our attention on those salient stimuli because that activates the emotional core of our brain. And that's how your attention automatically gets focused. Now, um, pick something else that some that can preoccupy somebody. Uh, right? like, like you're saying before, like drugs or something like that, or right. I mean, then drugs become the salient stimuli. Okay. What else can preoccupy somebody so that they end up focusing their attention and Ooh, their behavior? Yeah, it could, it could be sex. Yeah. It could be gambling. Yeah. It, it could it could be um, it could be exercise. Yeah. So, so, I, so, so there's a sense that I need to do that. Yeah. Right. I need that. So what is? I don't feel normal unless. I mean, what what, what kind? Well, for uh, me, I identify uh, with exercise because you know exercise is my life, and I've, I've exercised. Uh, so 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 if I said, what, what are you going to do today? Uh, what uh, kind of? Oh, I'd go for it. Oh, today I'm planning to go for a bike ride. So, okay. So, so, um, and if I said to you, okay, sorry, um, we're going to sit here in the studio. I want to keep this uh, interview going. Um, you can't go on your bike ride today. How, well, how's that going to make you feel? Well, actually, I know because yesterday I was doing some work on uh, one of my running businesses there, and I, I was planning to go for a run all day. And I'm sitting there by about three in the afternoon because, and I'm just getting tense, and I'm getting tensions building up, and I'm getting frustrated with my workflow because I just want to get this run out of the way. Right. So, 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 so let's explain that because that tension, right, that anticipation, 
right? That's a key part of the emotional process, and it's the same for any salient stimuli. How does this work? The way salient stimuli capture our attentional circuits in our brain is that um, based on past learning and past memory, right, our brains get um, – it's I, I, those chips. I just mentioned those chips to you. You start thinking about those chips, right? Or I talk about that bear. You can envision that bear, right? So, I mean, every time I land at San Francisco airport, when the plane hits the runway, I start thinking about these dumplings, yeah. right? Because I mean, there's this place in the airport that sells these dumplings. Yep. So the plane, just so every time it lands on the runway, right? I don't even have to see the dumplings. That 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 that's a cue. What's a cue? A cue can be the sight. It could be the smell. It could be the time of day. It could be my mentioning it to you. I mean, it could be that plane. It could be just getting in your car. You have a certain thought. Right, and you have that thought. You get cued. Something cues that that memory, that past learning. And what does that cue do? That cue starts focusing your attention. Now, if you can carry out the act, I'm going to eat. I'm going to go run. You're going to feel fine. But once you get cued, I start talking about you, you know your bike ride today, and I say you're not going to do it, and I cue you, and you start thinking about this. Right? I mean, where, I mean, where does the power? of food come from? Why do I feel this pull? I feel this pull, is it just the taste or is it the anticipation of the taste? So the power of food comes not only from its taste, but it's the anticipation. So what, what, we, what happens, I mean, in our brains, is we have this, based on past learning and past memory, we, have, we get cued. Cues activate our brain circuits. Right? They cause arousal. They cause increased attention. Right? They, they, they change how you feel. Right? I then eat the food. I, um, I have this momentary pleasure because while I'm doing it, my emotional core gets activated yep. and stays activated and I'm in this bliss moment. Five minutes later, I've eaten all this food and I go, what did I just do? Next time I get cued, what do I do? I, I act the same way. So every time I, I respond to that cue, I engage in this, I strengthen the neural circuit. So I have this cycle of cue activation, arousal, this momentary reward, and then this release. And I get caught in, I get caught in this behavior. Yeah. So any salient stimuli that, that can capture my circuits, if there's cues of it, that'll create certain anticipation and, and sets off this emotional responding. So it's like you almost get caught for the people who are struggling with these bad foods is that they get caught in a revolving circle. Um, it's kind of hard to escape. That's, that, that's, that, that's exactly right. You, 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 I get cued. My brain gets activated. I mean, why, why don't, I mean, people say just eat when you're hungry. Well, the problem is I'm hungry all the time, I thought. Yeah. Right? It's not that I'm hungry all the time because obviously I just ate. So how can I be hungry? Yeah. Right? What happens is my brain's gotten, something's cued me, right? So I'm walking down the street. I see a sign. I get in the car. 
I had gone, the cars, the queue, anything that predicts where I've gone before and eaten is going to queue me. I mean, I'm walking down Powell Street in San Francisco and I start thinking about chocolate-covered pretzels and I go, why did I, why did that thought come into my mind? Yeah. Six months earlier on that street, I had gone into a store and I'd got some chocolate-covered pretzels and just the location made me think unconsciously that cube jumped into my head because yeah. I had associated that street with uncho- uh, uh, these chocolate-covered pretzels. So we're very powerful learners. We have very powerful memories, and our brains get activated by these cues, and these cues are, in essence, false reward, uh, false signals. I, 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 I'm sure lots of people listening to this right now totally identify with what you're talking about. So I suppose, you know, learning what you're just talking about there, when we look at the food industry as a whole – you know, what have they taken with that knowledge and what are they doing to influence, you know, our, our eating decisions to their benefit, to our detriment? So what's been the business plan yeah, of the yeah. modern American? Profits, profit's key, isn't it? Right. Well, so, so how, do you, how do you get profits? You got to have, if you have uh, to have increased profits, you have to have increased revenue. Yep. Right. So you got to, <coughs> excuse me, increased revenue, you can have either increased sales Right? You're going to sell more. You're going to increase the price of your food. Yep. Increasing your price of food in these economic times is not a way – not going to go over big. No. Right? But you got to and sell it's competitive. more. Right? So you got, you got to sell more. Yep. So, so you got to sell more whether or not – which means selling more calories whether we need them or not. Okay. So, so what, was the, what was the business plan? Right? The fact is fat, sugar, and salt stimulate us to eat more and more. And I used to think I was eating – I th- used to think I was eating for, to satisfy myself, to fill myself up for nutrition. I didn't realize, and we've done the experiments, if, if I give you the vanilla milkshake, right? What's in a vanilla milkshake? There's a sweetness. Yep. There, I mean there's fat. There's uh, sugar. There's flavor. What do you think the main driver is? Uh, sugar. Yeah, sugar is the main driver of wanting, right? But when you add fat to it, it's synergistic. So fat and sugar, fat and salt, fat, sugar, and salt stimulate you to want more and more. They activate. They're very potent. So what was the business plan of the the modern global food company? Is to take fat, sugar, and salt, put it on every corner, make it available 24-7, make it socially acceptable to eat any time, Make add the emotional gloss of advertising. Say you're going to do it um, with your friends. Let me give you an analogy. I was invited to go talk to a global food company. And I flew to London and there was a small group of executives. And I said, let me explain this to you. What's going on? And I got to be careful with this analogy because there's similarities, but there's also differences. Nicotine. Okay. Nicotine is a moderately reinforcing chemical. Animals will work for nicotine, but it's not the, the most reinforcing. Yeah. Add to that nicotine the smoke, the throat scratch, the time of day. Yep. So the experience the, the, around it. The experience around it. The, um, the, the, the color of the pack the cellophane crinkling of the pack, the, uh, the, the 
um, advertising, the, the imagery that's associated, the sense that it was sexy and glamorous certainly 30, 40 years ago to smoke. So we took a reinforcing chemical and we made it into a highly addictive product. We added all these other level of stimuli. I say to you, okay, here's a package of sugar. Go have a good time. Yeah. You're going to say, what are you talking about? Yeah. Now to that sugar, add fat, add flavor, add texture, add color, add temperature, add the emotional gloss of advertising, put it on every corner, say it's socially acceptable to eat anytime. I mean, say you can do it with your friends. You're going to have a good time. What did we expect to happen? When I was growing up in the 50s and 60s, we ate primarily during meal times. We had three meals a day. What did we do in the United States? We took down those boundaries. It's now socially acceptable. This was by design. By, if you look at the food industry, some of the taglines for some of the fast food places is the fourth meal. It's now become, I mean, I could be sitting here in this interview Eating, and you wouldn't think anything of it. My guess, yeah, no, no, maybe may, may a little noisy, yeah, and maybe maybe a little. <laughs> well, no, a, I've been told in the past to eat during interviews from their listeners <laughs> when I have a podcast because I've done it myself. So, yeah. Right. So, so, so you know, we take we used to have certain protection. I mean, sure, my grandmother used fat, sugar, and salt to cook, right? But the fact is. I mean, what we've done is we've taken down any boundaries. I mean, look at the French, for example. The French have always eaten highly palatable foods, and until recently, they've not gotten fat. Why not? Because they had certain boundaries. It was never socially acceptable to eat between meals. It was, it was, it was in fact, it was, it was, kind of, it was gauche, right? I mean, it was, it was um, sort of tacky to eat between meals. But now, by putting fat, sugar, and salt on every corner, if, if you look at the coffee uh, shops in the United States, they used to be empty at 4 o'clock. They, they, not, they used to not be these, all these coffee shops on every corner. Now, you go in at 4 o'clock, I mean, look at the drinks that they're, they're selling. I mean, it's just, you know, it, it's fat and sugar. Um, and they, got, they, they can lure people in. But it's not just the fat and sugar. It's the entire experience that goes along with it. So I suppose the thing is, is you know, so and and the food industry are doing this consciously. They're making choices that are of a profit more than health. What's the way forward for us and our governments? You know, what what what's the plan of attack? Because as you're saying, you know, that like the increase in weight in our in our populations is just scary. And I, I know my, my industry and the fitness industry, we're talking at the moment that we're losing the battle. You know. We, we are really identifying with the people who are, who are good at fitness. You know, we, we're touching those people, but they're kind of, they were always going to be there. But when it comes to the obese or, or the people, you know, who are struggling with weight, which, let's be honest, is growing in size, we are really losing the battle. And so, so what is the plan of attack that you believe could move us forward to a more healthier place? So once you understand, this is not a question of weakness. It's not a question of people being lazy. It's, li- it's literally there. I can show you the, the changes of the brain. People have a hard time eating, the, I mean, uh, resisting their food. If I put those chips right in front of you, right, even before you put one of the chips in your mouth, and, and I did a brain scan, I could show how your brain gets activated. Wow. Right? 
and, and how the emotional core of your brain gets activated. And that's why it's automatic. And for people who have a hard time resisting, they have excessive activation of that emotional core of their brain that gets activated. And it stays, and once they start eating, that, that, that activation continues so that they're basically zoned out while they're eating. Wow. I mean, it feels real good. So it's quite, it and is it's, like a drug, isn't it? Well, it, it, it activates the same, same centers in the brain. Okay. Right? Now, it may not be activated to the exact same extent, I mean, as cocaine and, and other drugs, but it certainly activates the, and why do, why you're look why is your brain when you're just looking at those chips get activated right because because it cues you I mean again you have this learn this past learning and this past memory and you have these memories that it's that it's great yeah. and you want and that those memories are you want that food right and that's that anticipation that's that tension if you can't run you're going to feel just a little bit unease, right? You, you got to get this done, right? And because you, you, your brain is focused, right? It, it's activated. But if I said to you, look, there's something more important right now. I mean, I mean it, uh, there's something, there's a family matter, yeah. right? I mean, there's something that, that, that really, you, you have the opportunity to do something really special today other than, than running. That's going to take precedence, right? I mean, all of a sudden, anything about running is going to fall out of your brain, and you're going to start thinking about that other thing that's become more salient to you, okay. right? So the reason what I wrote the book, I mean, I went inside, I went inside the industry. I mean, the Washington Post outed me because I actually went dumpster diving to find out what was put in restaurant foods. The goal was, I mean, what I found, I mean, I look at these huge, I mean, look at much of what we're eating, Right. It's, it's just layered and loaded with fat, sugar, and salt. I mean, pick most of the dishes that are available in, you know, you know casual, commercial, uh, you know, mid-sized uh, restaurants, and they're loaded with fat, sugar, and salt. Yep. Right. Well, you talk in your book about how that's even disguised, really. You know, some foods you wouldn't even think would have salts or sugar or fat, and they're including it, them because they know that works to – to stimulate. to stimulate. Yeah. I mean, it stimulates you to want more and more. I mean, I mean, chicken breast, the actual, no, I'm not talking about what's put on, on the chicken. I'm talking about what's put inside the chicken. I mean, it has all this sugar, I mean, and, 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 and this salt. So the, the fact is, if I can change, the only way, I mean, there, there are tricks you can use in the short term, right? So I, I can have some structure to the way I eat. So I put up certain boundaries and I know I'm only going to eat certain times, right? I mean, that helps, right? I I know I'm going to eat certain things in certain times and I create certain structures and most weight loss plans, that's what they really do. But why don't diets work? I mean, sure they work in the short term, 30 days, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, you can lose the weight. But if you've not laid down new new learning, um, new neural circuitry. And then I, you lose the weight, you go back into your environment, you get cued again. It's the same uh, cues activate your brain circuitry. What's going to happen? You're going to gain the weight back, of course. Yep. So the only way, I mean, the question is, how do you cool down that neural circuitry? Mm-hmm. That's the goal. Right? And, and, and how do you do that? I mean, I could take away all the cues, 
But how realistic is that? You're going to turn on your TV. You're going to walk down the street. You're going to have certain memories of where you've been and what you've eaten. So, of course, you're going to – I can't take away all the cues. I mean, I can clean out what's in my house. I mean, the real way to do it is to change what you want. Because if I change what, how I perceive the stimulus, you look at those, you look at that, uh, those chips as something you want. You look at that bear as something that you're afraid of. You look as, at that run today as something you need in order to feel better. Right? Yeah. If I can change how you perceive the stimulus, if I ch- say to you, you know, that food's not going to make you feel good. It'll make you feel good for a couple of seconds. But in fact, what that, that, that food does is it tricks you. into it, it lets you feel good for a couple of seconds. But afterwards, you're not going to feel very good. And if you come to understand that food is not going to nourish you, it's not going to sustain you. I don't want to eat just food that is layered and loaded with fat, sugar, and salt. Mm. I mean, you know, you, picking, you got to tell me what, what are some popular appetizers, I yeah. mean, locally. I mean, I mean, in the States, you know, we have these uh, – you have these buffalo wings, or yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, so so, so the, you know, you take these buffalo wings. What what are they? You take the fatty part of the chicken, right? You fry it usually in the manufacturing plant first. That that loads thirty forty percent fat, and it pushes thirty forty percent water out. You fry it again in the restaurant or the kitchen. That loads another thirty forty percent fat in. That red sauce, what is it? Is fat and sugar. That white creamy sauce is fat. Uh, sugar and salt. What are you eating? You're eating fat on fat on fat on fat on sugar and salt. And so if you come to, you say to yourself, that's not going to sustain me. That's not going to nourish me. That's not what I want. I want real food. So, so you're almost saying, look at the, look at it, not as, um, you know, as you're looking at those neural pathways and all the rest of it, you're, you're kind of looking at it more as just what is the content and it can help take away the emotion. Well, well, well. you got to change the emotion. Okay. I mean, this is not just something that you can learn. It's not something that I can lecture. It's not something that I can um, – it, it's not something that you can just understand. Okay. It's something you're going to have to believe in. It, it, this is, this is going to have to be meaningful. If, I mean, take a smoker, right? A smoker, I mean, was addicted. Why? Because they thought they needed the cigarette. Yeah. When did they change? How do, how, do they, how, how do they beat the addiction? Yeah, it's right? when they stop needing it. When, when, when they realize that cigarette is not my friend, that's my enemy. Yeah. And I don't want that cigarette. Okay. And they got to believe that. So there's a real, but it's a real emotional change. I mean, who are the most ad, uh, uh, avid anti-smokers? Yeah. People who smoke. Yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, because yeah. that's not my friend. And, but, but, you know, if once there's any ambivalence, you know, I know it's not good for me, but it really would make me feel better. Then I'm, then I'm caught. Yeah. Then I'm stuck, right? Because I, I have this ambivalence that stays in working memory. But if I really believe that's my enemy, I don't want that. Yeah. I mean, things that I want, what am I going to do? I'm going to approach. Things that I, that I don't want, what am I going to do? I'm going to avoid. Yeah. So that's more of the individual thing you've got. So you're saying, kind of wrapping it up, is that as an individual, you've you've almost got to train or 
emotionally find the place where you can see these foods, the sugar, fats, and salts as the enemy, and so you can disassociate all those emotions around. It, it, it has to be important to you. Okay. Right. So okay. But, but why? Why do you need to do that bicycle ride? Because that's important to you. Yeah. Right. You put a value on that. Yeah. Right. And, and, and it's not something that I can talk you. I mean, that's become important to you. So it's almost right? like you have to come at it with a hundred percent of of importance. Well, yeah. Again, it's a little hard. That actually is true, right? I mean, now the problem with that is it's a little hard to live your life, right, with yeah. everything being a hundred percent. Yeah. But it's easier. I mean, I have a certain rule, right? I know if I start eating fries, I'm going to eat all of them. Yep. I mean, chips. I've, I, once I start, I'm not. I, I, you know, I and it's just easier for me not to have them. Yep. Because once I start, it's. Um, but it is. I mean, that's why you know, uh, you know, alcoholics, right? Alcoholics get to the point where they know. I mean, that, that shift. Alcohol is not my friend; it's yep. my enemy. And when that takes hold, and you have they have the social support, that cools down the neural circuits. Yeah. Right. It changes the valence from alcohol used to be positively valenced. To not, you know, for the alcoholic, it becomes negatively valence once they realize that they can't lead their lives continuing to drink the way they were drinking. So that's more of the way the individual should be looking. What's your, what's your thoughts on um, regulation and food, you know, the food industry's responsibility? And um, you know, I'm sure this is a huge battle you're probably trying to confront head on. But you know, what are your thoughts behind? You know, because there is that personal responsibility aspect. So, so is, is, is the problem that those chips in front of you or is it how your brain represents those chips? Yes. What is it? It's the, it's the driving force. And, and just because your, your, your neural circuits are hijacked, that doesn't mean you don't have any responsibility to try, you know, to, to cool down those neural circuits, mm. right? I mean, just because your brain gets activated – Right? It doesn't mean you shouldn't try to put together, put the tools to protect yourself. Yeah. The question is, it's very, no one's ever given people, no one's explained this to people. No one's given them the tools to protect themselves. So how do you protect yourself from being captured? Right? The, the best way, as you just said, is to, I mean, we're dealing with what activates the emotional core of your brain. Can I, can I shut off your emotional core of your brain? Now, if I shut off the emotional core of your brain, what's going to happen? Well, you're not really living a human experience, are you? Right, right. So I can't shut off your emotion, and you're going to get captured. So what's your choice? To change the emotional. You're going to change the emo- or you're going to change the way your brain works. You're still going to get captured. Okay. Really, your only choice is what am I going to get captured by? Yep. Right, and understand when I get captured. So, you know, in the end. And I'm, I'll come back to your question what the industry should do and what their responsibility is. But I have a choice, right? Now, what's going to be important to me? Am I going to want to eat good food or am I going to want to eat food that's just layered and loaded with fat, sugar, and salt? Am I going to want to go run today? What is it that I want to be captured by? Right? So you, you have a way to be to, 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 to alter what you're going to be captured by. Now, our society helps do that. I mean, if, if I'm in a, 
if I'm in a group of friends and, and colleagues and have the support of a, uh, of a community that values exercise, is that going to help me value exercise? Yep. Sure. So, so, so that becomes salient. So the exercise becomes salient. And that's why, you know, but you can have the same emotional reaction to, I mean, um, to not being able to run today or take that bike ride today as I have, you know, not being able to eat those chips today. Both are saying, so the question is, you just choose the exercise and the, 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 the running. I choose the food, mm. right? Both can affect how I feel. Yeah. It's almost like know your addictions, try to have positive ones, isn't it? Um, yeah, I guess, it's, uh, I guess it's like that. But, it's, you know, it's not just the addictions. Mm. When you think about it, what about our anxieties? Yeah. What's going what's to stimulate me to be anxious, to be at unease? What's going to stimulate me? What's gonna, what about my phobias? My fears. What about my inner thoughts? Yeah. I mean, addiction is just one manifestation of this notion that we get captured. I mean, people who become depressed, what do they get captured by? They get captured by negative stimuli. That's, I mean, the negative events in their life take over. Right? So if you look at a lot of what makes us, this is really what makes us human. Eating is just one part of it. Eating is just one of those things. In essence, eating was, you know, I wrote the whole book um, and uh, I didn't use the word addiction, but in essence, food, because I wanted to go deeper. I didn't want to yeah. just do it at a superficial level. I wanted people to understand what was driving that need, that, that compulsion. Uh, but the fact is food was, in essence, the first addiction. It's what allowed us to survive as a species. Mm. So then... Uh, taking you back to the food industry and governments, what, what's, what's your thoughts there? Let's see if we can close on, you know, I mean, on, on these, you know, on these, what's the legitimate role of government? Yeah. Right? Let's see if what, what we can agree on. Right? I mean, because people are going to have different opinions yep. on what the role of government is. Yep. Let's first, um, is there a role of government to assure disclosure of what's in the food? Uh, yes, yeah, I suppose. I, I think most people would agree labeling would be a, uh, an appropriate role of government. Yeah. What about government as a role to educate children and make sure there's education of children so they understand how their brains become hijacked, I mean, what food does to their yep. brains? I think we can enroll there's, there's a role for education and disclosure. Yep. Okay. Now let me ask you a harder one. Yeah. What about taxing? Um, uh, See, I really—I'll be really honest with you on this one. I really struggle with this stuff because um, I'm, I'm kind of not big on government regulating behaviours. Um, so I, I, I kind of, you know, because I don't trust government <laughs> necessarily long term. And uh, right. if they if they regulate one behaviour, what's going to stop? But, 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 but we can agree on education and yep. disclosure. Yeah. Okay. What about uh, uh, subsidies? And in the in the states, we have a lot of farm subsidies and policies where we're subsidizing corn that, you know, a lot of, that makes a lot of this high fructose corn syrup. Yep. Um, should government be using your tax dollars to subsidize industries that, uh, f- the fat, sugar, and salt? Yeah, well, no. Right. I mean, so we can agree on, on subsidies. So there's a line. So I think, I think there is a legit, look, I think there's a legitimate role for government in disclosure, 
in education, in certain of its policies on what it uses tax dollars for. I think at the end, does the food industry have to change? Absolutely. Right? The quality of the food, the amount of food, the way it, it, it puts food on every corner. Mm-hmm. Right? I think the food industry has responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, on the quality of food, what, to disclose what's in their food, and, and um, certainly, I think even on the size of some of these packages, um, I think they can play a, a role. Um, but in the end, the real the real issue is our own responsibility to put in uh, steps to protect ourselves, and the best way to protect ourselves is to find things that we want more than that fat on fat, on sugar, on fat. Yeah. Well, just one last question before we kind of wrap it up. You mentioned early on, I think this is an important message um, because so much esteem is based around, you know, nowadays, you know, the world is sold on an image, you know, and that you're not going to be happy unless you look a certain way and that you, you know, are like the TV people, basically. Um, And and so much esteem and lack of esteem, I suppose, or or depression and all that bad stuff comes around bad eating decisions. And and you mentioned earlier the the idea that um, it's not necessarily personal weakness that is creating this craving and these bad choices when it comes to eating. And um, just just your thoughts kind of around that, that thinking, you know, how how can we help people? Because I think if you feel bad about yourself, it's not going to help you change those emotional decisions. you're, you're, you're exactly right. When I explain to people how their brain, what's going on is that if I cue them you know, with their favorite food, their brain gets activated and how they have excessive activation of that, that, that part of their brain that's the emotional core and that they keep on eating. When they keep on eating, they have increased activation. Yep. All of a sudden, they go, you mean it's not my fault? Yeah. Right? And that takes an enormous lift off that. Yeah. An enormous weight, yep. but just because it's not your fault doesn't mean you have a re- don't have a responsibility to p- try to protect yourself. Mm. We're just not giving people the tools in order to do that. Well, um, I just want to say, uh, first of all, the book, <laughs> we haven't really mentioned the book yet. Uh, the book is called The End of Overeating, Taking Control of Your Insatiable American Appetite, of the Insatiable American Appetite. Um, no, it, it, uh, Penguin has it out, um, so it's not just the American appetite. I think you can get it uh, uh, down there. Um, oh, uh, you get it everywhere. You know what? Everyone goes to the Amazon nowadays. So, um, and you even mentioned the book how America is influencing the world in the big term. So, um, and I think people kind of understand the message there. Um, but it's honestly, I can't highly, I highly recommend it. Obviously, you know, you know, you've just listened to David there, and you obviously can understand the depth of knowledge he has in this area and um, how much he can value. One thing I noticed with the book a lot is he also gives strategies as well, and um, he's mentioned a few here as well. But it goes into more depth in the book, and I, you know. It's one of those books when I when I because Tom the guy who recommended it to me, I like when you're in the fitness industry and and you have the image that you know that you're meant to be trying to achieve. People assume that we don't struggle with stuff like this as well. And, and I was reading the book and there's lots of it I identified with and uh, and I just think it's one of the, the really most important books that are out there right now because most nutritional books are just you know stop eating or, you know, there's, there's not really getting to the core problem that we're facing in society right now. And so, 
Um, I highly recommend that if you listen to the show right now, get hold of the book and, and read it and listen to it or listen to it. I, I tend to buy audiobooks, David. So um, get it and then and pass it on or, or recommend it to your friends because the more that we can get this message out there, you know, we'll start to turn that boat around and, and hopefully start to win the battle that, you know, that society is really struggling with right now. So that, thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So thank you for coming to the show. Um, it's, it's, it's a real pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you. So there you have it, the interview with David Kessler. I, um, I hope you enjoyed it because oh, I just think he's sending out such an important message. If you want to get hold of his, of his, his amazing book, uh, The End of Overeating, I've actually put a link to it on my website. If you go to bevanjamesisles.com and for the show notes for this show, I've, I've done an Amazon affiliates thing so admittedly if you buy the book i will get a small commission on that it's bugger all but still um so if you want to check out the book you can go to my website and click on that link and uh, i will take you through to amazon and they'll do all the rest for you uh, i do recommend that you get hold of this book and, and i think if anything if you can do me a favor is show people this interview uh not because i just want big numbers but more because well i'm not gonna lie that would help <laughs> but at the same time um i just think he's sending out such an important message and the more people can become aware of some of the things that the food industry are doing to, to get us a little bit trapped in uh, these behaviours that are going to have a bad health effect on us, the more uh, we can make choices that are going to lead us down a more healthier lifestyle and I think it's just such an important thing for all of us to be doing. So if you enjoyed today's interview, email it to someone um, and so they can have a listen and maybe get something from it as well. I'm not going to read emails out this month. It's uh, We've kind of kind of going long we're kind of nearly up to the hour so i'm just going to say i got lots of great feedback on the goal setting my, my kind of view on goal setting so i just want to say thank you so much for all those people who sent through the emails i really appreciate that it's kind of nice to see that uh you liked what i was doing with that one other than that i've got a pretty exciting few weeks in front of me i'm up to auckland tomorrow i think it is or the day afterwards to do some work for les mills which is kind of a big international fitness company which i'm really excited about my daughter's about to start high school which is kind of scary uh and last time i'm hoping to sign up for this amazing running race called the abel tasman classic which is uh one of the most beautiful off-road trails that you can do in new zealand but once a year they do it as a running race in september but it's so popular you pretty much have to get up at six in the morning to sign up for the race on the day it opens because it sells out straight away so on February the 1st I'm going to be up at 6 in the morning with my, on that website so I can sign up for that race other than that that's pretty much this month's show just remember if you can always help me by putting reviews on iTunes spreading the word about the show and telling more and more people about what we're doing here to help you and others grow uh, that's this month's show I'll see you same time same place next month <laughs>